Well, good morning, everybody. It is a privilege not only to be with you right now, but it is a privilege to be alive right now. How would you feel if you were able to drive in a car that the Lord made? I think that would be pretty special. How would you feel if you were able to live in a house that God made? I'm sure that would be a spectacular house. Let me show you something better than that. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We are living in a miracle. <laughs> God has made us a day to live in. And uh, so we're going to enjoy this day. And I want to thank you for being with me right now. I've been uh, away for a bit, and uh, we're in our life group season now. And uh, my wife spoke last Sunday, and uh, it was pretty amazing the comments that she received. And I want to thank you for all the kind things you said to Renee after her addressing you last week. And uh, so this is my turn again. I'm going to read to you from the book of Matthew, chapter 15, beginning at verse 21. And I'm going to speak to you on the subject of leftovers. Leftovers. When Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou will. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Leftovers. What a thing for Jesus to say. Great is thy faith. Now you, you've got to consider the source. This is not just, this is not some pastor saying this. This, this is not some casual observer. This is, this is the Lord himself telling this woman, you have great faith. <laughs> and so when I read this, it was like, you know, this is not someone that's never seen a miracle. This is, this is the miracle worker. 
giving his, his appraisal of this woman. And when Jesus, Jesus calls it great faith. When you study the word, it, it, it's possible to come to seven different levels of faith. You know, there, there, there was a place in the word where they, they had no faith and there, there's little faith and, and this is great faith. And uh, he only said this twice. There's only two times that I could find in the word where Jesus made this statement. The other one was to the Roman soldier when he said, uh, uh, you know, Jesus went to this city and, and a man said, please come home with me. And, and Jesus said, no, I don't need to go home with you. Just you go home. And when you go home, everything will be fine. And it was. And several weeks later, Jesus is back at that same city. And this soldier says, my servant, my servant is in trouble. And Jesus says the exact opposite. He says, oh, I'll come home with you. And he said, no, that's not necessary for you to come home with me. Just speak the word like you did a couple weeks ago to that man with his child. And he went, I've never seen faith like this nowhere in all of his. The Jews haven't figured this out. But you, you've got great faith. But this woman here, she really, there's something special about this event in the Bible because I I want to know what in the world was it that this woman had in her her life that I can learn from. I I I remember saying something to this church some time ago. I said I, I don't want to be the Detroit Lions of Pentecost, and uh, I've been in this city for over thirty years, and and for over thirty years. I just keep hearing this same mantra. You just wait till next year. You just wait till next year. And, and we have waited for next year. And next year is last year all over again. <laughs> and, and I, I, and the reason I said that is I don't want to be a pastor or I don't want this to be a church that says you just wait till next year. Next year, we're going to have something really special, or next year, something very wonderful. I, I, I don't want to be a Pentecostal panhandler. I, I, I don't want to be one of those people that, that, that with a cardboard sign and an American flag and a dog hanging out at a good church and just becoming a professional beggar, uh, a professional asker. I, uh, Jesus said, if you ask, and keep on asking, I will answer. He said, if you seek and, and you keep looking, I'm going to make sure you find it. He said, if you knock and keep knocking, I'm going to make sure the door is going to be open. I, I don't want to get comfortable with just asking and, 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 and looking and knocking and never expecting an answer. I, uh, Never, ne never getting a revelation, never, never finding what you're looking for or, or never ever experiencing an open door. I, I, I know some people that are just great at asking and, and seeking God, but we've been praying 
and I'm convinced that we've got his attention. And now it's important that we learn how to receive. Sometimes great faith is just hanging on. <coughs> when, it, when it would be easier to quit and fold your tent and just, just give up. Yes, he did say ask. He did say seek. He did say knock. But if you read it carefully, Jesus never did say when you were going to be answered, when you were going to get the revelation, or when the door was going to be opened. But I, I love this. This is Matthew 7. Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Faith is, is, is standing still. It's, 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 it's going to happen today. And if it's not going to happen today, it's going to happen tomorrow. And if it's not going to happen tomorrow, it's going to happen the day after that. And if it's not going to happen this week, it'll happen next week. It'll happen this month. But if it doesn't happen this month, it's going to happen next month. If not this year, next year. The Lord is going to do what I'm asking for. Don't you allow the enemy to put you on, on a treadmill of time. And if it doesn't happen when I want it to happen, well, then I quit. I, I, I know of a, of a situation. I went to school, Bible school, with a man in a wheelchair. And he believed in his heart that if he went to Bible school and graduated from Bible school, he would be healed. And he did go to Bible school for four years, and he did graduate. But when the graduation was over, he didn't walk. So he quit, and he just gave up on God. I'm convinced if he had stayed faithful, God would have healed him. I will believe until. This, this woman would not go away. And she came out of Tyre and Sidon, which there's a lot of history to that and a lot of prophecy about, a lot of Bible about Tyre and Sidon, which I don't have time to go into, but it's obvious she's not a Jew. She, she had no right to anticipate an answer to her request. She, she, she didn't have one verse to lean on, and yet she got what she wanted. Read your Bible. This is in Ephesians 2 and verse 11. Remember that in time past, you were Gentiles in the flesh. You called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. That at that time, listen to this, at that time you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, no hope, without God in this world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh or are brought near by the blood of Jesus. She's a Gentile. She, 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 she's without Christ. She's an alien. She's a stranger. She has no hope. <laughs> but she got what she wanted. 
If that woman, wow, if that woman could get what she wanted, listen to this last verse in verse 13. But now in Christ, we are made nigh by the blood. See, uh, uh, until Calvary, uh, <laughs> I didn't have a chance. I didn't have a prayer. I, I've always loved these verses in the book of Luke. It said, if a son asked bread of any of you that is a father, would he give him a stone? <coughs> if he asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? Would you give him a serpent? If he asked for some scrambled eggs, would you give him a scorpion? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, watch this, how much more shall the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And I've always loved that for how much more. If, if that Gentile woman without one verse, without one promise, without one hope of a chance, could get what she wanted before Calvary. How much more should you and I believe that because we are now on the other side of Calvary, <laughs> Calvary took the distance away. We didn't have a promise. Now we do. We were illegal aliens without a green card. Now we're residents. We were strangers, but now the Bible calls us his children, his sons and daughters. The blood made that happen. Calvary made that happen. So this woman had these things going for her. This woman had a burden, a deep desire, a need, but she also had great faith. Don't you see what I'm saying? You, you can go to places where people say, you can never go. This woman was never supposed to be here, much less ask what she was asking for. But she was there, and she did ask, and she did receive. And there are many, many applications of this, but, but, but God will make room for you. I, I, I went to a Bible school, a, a seminary, years ago in Texas, I, I, I was surrounded with young men. Uh, sometimes they would just whine and complain because they never felt they were getting the breaks. You know, if my dad was some high-profile pastor or if my dad was some office holder somewhere in the organization, and there were some young men there who, 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 who did have highly recognizable names and and their dads did have positions and 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 and, and it, the jealousy sometimes that was directed towards these sons who had done nothing more than just had the privilege of being born in that kind of home and and boy if i just had a daddy like yours well i just had a birthday and i'm on the north side of 60 now and let me tell you I am like David said, I was young, now I'm old. And I never did beg. And I can say that. I have credibility. I'm on the north side of 60 now. My daddy opened door after door for me. I traveled for years. I was nobody from nowhere. 
and I still am, but not once, not one time did I ever call anyone and ask them if they would allow me to preach in their pulpit. Not once did I ever ask for a door to be opened. I remember there's a word that's used about David in the Old Testament. Um, it, it's God said, I took you from the sheep coat. And I wondered, what in the world does that mean? And probably the best explanation I can find is in the message translation where the Lord said, I found you in a pasture. And, and, and I love that because <laughs> I, I, I was, I, I still am a hillbilly boy. And I spent my youth alone climbing hills and, and wading in, in, in what was called the Buffalo, Buffalo Creek that wound past my house. And my, my, my daddy found me in a pasture. I, 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 now I'm a pastor. <laughs> I, I had never been on a plane until I was 18. First plane I was ever on was the plane that took me to Houston, Texas to go to school. Now I've flown over a million miles. I've, I've preached in every state except Hawaii. I, 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 I've been in, preached in 38 different countries, uh, hundreds of camp meetings and conferences, and not to mention hundreds of churches and other types of venues. My dad did that when I was five. I was sitting on my grandmother's porch. We were, we were thumbing through Life magazine. And uh, they had an article in Life magazine on Mount Rushmore. <clears throat> and I remember looking at my grandmother and saying, one day, I'm, I'm going to go there. And I still remember my grandmother looking at me and she said, yet, I, I reckon you probably will. Two years ago, I was asked to speak at a camp meeting in South Dakota. And one of the ministers there, this amazing guy named Warren Welch, who is an Oglala Sioux. He's a great, great guy. And he asked me, he said, have you ever been to Mount Rushmore? And I said, no. He said, well, it's just right down the road. You want to go? And we got in a car and... And if you've ever been there, they've got these beautiful steps and walkway, wide walkway going all these flags on either side of it. And, and I got all emotional and, and tears were in my, my eyes and, and I was trying to hide it from war and I didn't want to see it. But in my, I, I just looked up at that hill and, and you know, there was George and Abraham and, and Teddy Roosevelt and <laughs> Thomas Jefferson. And I said, I made it, Grandma. <laughs> I, I, I made it. And, and I, I, I've been uh, to the clamshell opera house outside of Sydney while standing on top of the Sydney Harbor Bridge. I, 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 I got to see that, not because I was on vacation, but because I was preaching at, at the great Campsie Church in Sydney, the Pentecostals of Sydney. It's just an amazing church. 
That's why I got to see Sydney's Opera House and I, I got to see the Taj Mahal, but the reason wasn't because I was on a vacation. I was speaking at a national convention in India. I, 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 I've seen Machu Picchu in South America, but I wasn't there just, I was preaching at a conference of, of Southern countries in South America. And it's just my daddy, my daddy did that. You understand what I'm saying? My earthly father, Harry, is an amazing man, but he wasn't the one that opened these doors. That's why it doesn't say that the Lord is a shepherd. It said the Lord is my shepherd. And I have found that to be true. I have found that, 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 that you may think you don't deserve it, but if you're persistent and you have great faith in God, it is amazing what he'll do with you and through you. And, and she was asking for something that didn't belong to her. She was asking for something that, that at the very minimum is three years away. Do you understand that? This, there, 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 there had to be multiple things happen before this woman was legally permitted <coughs> to ask what she was asking for. You, 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 there's a betrayal that, that, that has to occur. There's a trial that has to be weathered. There's a, there's a cross that has to be endured, a grave that has to be filled up. There's a resurrection that has to happen. Then there has to be an outpouring to a strictly Jewish church. That's all going to happen because you, you, you don't have a prayer until Acts 8, where, where, where the Ethiopian eunuch, which is the first one on the radar that I can find that, that is a Gentile. This, this, Jesus, listen to what he said. Oh, woman. Oh, oh, woman. If you only knew. Do you, you realize what's going on here? There are so many ways to look at this, but when I look at this, I look at Jesus not being intimidated, or I, I look at Jesus really being amazed and, and, and saying, if you only knew the thoughts that you are putting into my head right now, I've had all this planned out from the beginning, but you are seriously making me reconsider my plans because if you keep acting like this, I am thinking about reaching around the cross and bringing a sample from another dispensation into today because I can't deny this kind of faith. I can't refuse this kind of faith. And Jesus literally had to reach into a day that hadn't occurred yet. He had to reach around his plan because blood has to be shed before Gentiles could be healed and before they could be filled. Don't allow, what are you, don't allow anyone to slow you down and stifle your prayers and shut your mouth and convince you that you can't have something. Your faith determines that. She knew she didn't deserve it, but listen to what she said. Jesus, thou son of David. There's only three places in the Bible where that phrase is used. This is the thing that the man, when, when he was going out Jericho, this is, this is what this man said, thou son of David. There's a revelation in that. 
The only people that would say that are the people who understood who Jesus really was. And so you've got two ways of looking at this. It's possible. <clears throat> it's possible she's lying. It's possible she's saying, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll butter him up. <clears throat> I'll try to deceive him. I'll try to trick him into thinking. That may have been what going, what went on. Or she may have had a real revelation about who he was. But this is what amazes me. He didn't answer her. He, he, he wouldn't even take the time to give her a binary denial. He didn't even say no. So that leads me to believe it's possible she's faking it. It's possible she's borrowing some prophetical line from another group of people. It's possible that he knew that her first attempt to come to him wasn't accurate and it wasn't proper. That, that may have been why he ignored her. And then, to add insult to injury, she can't get him, so she's gone to his disciples, and obviously she keeps bugging him and bugging him. And they come to him and say, Jesus, you've got to do something. This woman's driving us crazy. Listen to what he says next. I am sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Which means, <clears throat> if you're not a sheep, there's only one other option. You're a goat. So first of all, he completely ignores her. Now, without her being there, he describes her to his disciples as a goat. <laughs> and then look at this verse, verse 25. She worshiped. Wow. She worshiped him. This is probably one of the greatest apologies and one of the greatest explanations in the Bible for the difference between praise and worship. See, praise <clears throat> is basically a higher form of thanksgiving, that you are grateful for what the Lord has done for you. But worship is not based on what he's done for you. It's based on who he is. That's why you can worship at all times because he never changes. He hasn't done one thing for this woman except ignore her. And yet she still worships him. <laughs> and the being ignored and being called a goat didn't do it. <clears throat> he calls her a dog. I'm not going to give the children's bread to dogs. And her response stops him cold. She said, you're right. I am a dog. But she said, dogs get crumbs. Dogs get leftovers. When everyone else has eaten to their full, the dogs get 
what's remaining. Why, why is she doing this? Because she's got a daughter that is possessed by a demon. She's, she's, she, 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 is it possible that I'm talking to someone right now that has a hell-raising child? Is it possible that I'm talking to someone that has a devil-filled son or a devil-filled daughter? Someone that is there is one of your, are they terrorizing the whole family? And to where you get to the point where you say, I can't take this anymore. I don't want the bakery. I don't want the whole loaf. I don't even want a whole slice. I, I, would you give me a crumb? Would you give me a crumb? And when you read this, it's so easy to miss this, but there's such an amazing revelation in this statement that this woman is making. Because in too many people's worlds, the devil or a demon is massive. But in his world, it's just a crumb. To too many people, bumps in the road are mountains and, and trials. <laughs> wow, that's an Everest that very few people ever summit, much less come back from. And real mountains, they're just impossible. No wonder Jesus said, cast your mountain into the sea. <laughs> I, I don't have time to get distracted by this right now, but I have taught on the creation account all of my ministry, and there are two things that have always driven my approach to the Word, and that are the seven days of creation and the seven feasts of the Lord in Leviticus 23. I am convinced that the whole story of the Bible is found initially in those seven creative days and in the seven feasts of Jehovah that are mentioned in Leviticus 23. But there is something that I've never heard anybody talk about. That when you study that creation account, everything else is described. Everything else is accounted for. But there are two things that exist in that Genesis record that were there before anything else was there. Yes, the Spirit of God was there. That's a given. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. But here's my question. I want to know where the water came from. I've never heard anybody talk about that. But I can tell you this, that in the beginning, <coughs> there was water and there was spirit. <laughs> It doesn't surprise me that when Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he said, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again of water and spirit. I don't have time to go through the word and show you how many times God used water for all of the various venues and means he could have used to wash away our sins. He chose to combine his name with water. 
That, that concept is all the way through the word. And I am convinced that water is deeply associated with God. When you deal with Orthodox Jews, they are convinced that the two component parts of God are spirit and water. <laughs> so it doesn't surprise me that the regeneration and the new birth, the gospel message, is a message of water and spirit. And when Jesus said, when you get a mountain, here's what you're going to need. Regardless of how big that mountain is, you're going to have to find something bigger to throw the mountain into. And he said, find a sea, find an ocean, find a vast body of water. What, what larger body of water could I ever find? And I find this account that we, we cast our bread upon the water. What are you saying, Brother Hoffman? I'm saying, I don't care how big your problem is. God is bigger than your problem. You've got to realize that this is not the ultimate, this, this impressive uh, thing that, that's intimidating you. There's something bigger than your mountain. <laughs> and that's the sea. Oh, God, God, I, I hear people, oh God, you know how, how, how my child is so difficult. God, you know this city is so wicked. God, I'm so poor. Uh, I, I'm asking for this massive thing. And, and <laughs> it's a crumb. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Dealing with demons, dealing with the devil in his, you, you get what I'm saying? Jesus is never going to be in the hot tub after a long day. Jesus is never going to wring his hands in frustration and say, what am I going to do now? Or like too often happens in my life now, at the end of a long day, I'm very weary and I'm very tired. What we are asking the Lord for is not going to cause him to break out into a sweat and say, whoa, I don't know if I can ever pull that off. Adjust your attitude to your need. When people come, we're going to be in church soon, and I'm so looking forward to being with you again. But when we pray around the altar, and listen to me right now, when we come back into church, don't you dare carry this COVID thing on week after week after week after week after week and establish norms in the church to where we don't shake hands anymore and we don't hug necks anymore and we don't lay hands on people to pray for them anymore. Don't you live in that kind of fear. We're not just talking about a social aspect here. This is fellowship of the body of Christ. And when people come around these altars and say, what do you need? And they'll say, I, I, I've got cancer. You, you rightly could say, is that all? <laughs> I, 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 I had this amazing elder in my life years ago, Tom Barnes. And, and, and I wish I would have lived closer to him, but what times I was around him. People would ask him to pray for, for life-threatening situations, and he would look at him and say, it's just a headache. It's just a headache. And people thought that he was dismissing the severity of their situation, and he wasn't at all. He was putting the problem in proper perspective. 
to the problem solver that we were taking this to. Okay, Lord, I don't need you to open a bakery. I don't want the whole loaf. I don't even want a slice. I want a crumb, (laughs) a crumb, because a crumb can deal with a demonic situation. That's just a little bit of God. The leftovers from God could deal with amazing things. So I'm saying, look, look, look what he did for a dog. He ignored her. He called her a goat. Now she's a dog. But he gave this dog the leftovers. So we need to put revival in perspective. Yes, there's darkness in this city. Yes, there's problems in this city. But do not let the problems in this city diminish our deity to where we're serving a dwarf or a midget master. No, absolutely not. It happened twice in the book of Acts. Paul is on, I guess what you would call, his farewell tour. And uh, it happened first at Miletus. I'll read to you from Acts 20 and verse 36. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. He knows he's on his way to Rome. And he did a last circuit through these churches that he had established. And he goes to Miletus, and these precious people have such reverence and respect for him. They deal as far with him as they can to the boat, and he kneels down and prays with them, and they cried because they knew they they were never going to see him again. But then in chapter 21, it's the second time it happens at a place called Tyre. He went there for seven days. I think it appears he was only intending to stay for just a day, but... The people so moved him that he spent a week with him. Listen to Acts 21 and verse 5. And when he had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. These people are from the very same place (laughs) that that woman was from years before. And I've always wondered if that woman in Matthew 15 ever knew what she had started. Because what began as a desperate request for her daughter, the last time we read about this particular place, it's got a great church. And they're full of compassion. And they have great respect for the ministry. (laughs) And they go as far with Paul as they possibly can and knelt down and prayed. Ladies and gentlemen, you keep hanging on. Don't you stop. Don't you give up. Because I'm telling you, when Jesus said she had great faith, and I examine why was her faith so great, the thing that just becomes so obvious in this account is she just hung on. She wasn't going to go away. She wouldn't be intimidated. She wouldn't be upset. She wouldn't be offended at what he said. 
she just hung on and said, okay, give everybody else the meal, but would you give me the leftovers? And if this woman back then could have this kind of miracle before Calvary and before the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is what brought you and I close to the Lord. We were just like this woman. We were aliens. We were strangers. We had no hope, no God. But because of Calvary, that blood has brought us close to him. And if a woman with a, who was a stranger could get an answer, what about the real children? Beloved, now are we the sons of God? <laughs> and so we're going to believe God for the greatest and we're going to trust him, and we're not going to stop, because that is what Jesus called great faith. Bow your head with me. Lord Jesus, I have absolutely no idea how far-reaching these words are right now, but I am convinced that somewhere there is somebody watching this who has a desperate, drastic need in their life or in their family. And like this woman, we are going to be persistent. But unlike this woman, we're not strangers. We're your real children. And the power of the blood of the cross has taken away the distance. And now, Lord, we stand with you. Oh, Jerusalem, you said, how often would I gather my children like a hen does her chicks? <laughs> well, we are under the cover of thy feathers right now. And we are confident, Lord, that you love us and that we are your children. And so we are believing you, God, in the family, in our lives. We thought it was a mountain. But someone reminded me today there's something bigger than a mountain because seas can absorb mountains. And what I thought was such an impossible situation and so difficult, and it is for me, but for you, <laughs> all that's required from you is a crumb to deal with any demonic demonstration that could be evident in our lives or in the lives of someone that we love. So I'm not trying to be lazy, and I'm not trying to minimize the problem. I am trying to maximize my answer. Lord Jesus, it's just a crumb. That's all we need. And we're going to believe you, Lord, for the impossible. In Jesus' name, we pray and call it done. Amen. God bless every one of you. Hang on. I'll see you soon.